So the title of the sermon um, that I gave earlier this week is So, and we will unpack that in a second. But there's three key themes that I want us to focus on as we're going through this passage. The first one is love, second one is loss, and the third one is the glory of God. And we're gonna unpack these as we move along. So I think we can all relate to this scripture on some level. We've all been here. If we haven't been here, we're going to be here. Um, We all suffered loss, whether that's a loss of a job, a loss of a family member, a loss of a relationship. We've all suffered loss. And us as believers, we seek God's face during those times. But sometimes there's a waiting period. And those waiting, that waiting period could be the hardest. But that's the area that we grow the most. And we'll see that in scripture. So this scripture is actually, God's timing is amazing. Um, I'm, I'm in the middle of this story right now in my life. There's huge transitions going in my life right now. And God has made his hand clear just as of recently, as of the past couple days. And I'm working on this passage and it's, it's becoming real life. Like God's unfolding his, 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 his word in, right in front of me in my life and through this passage. So it's been, it's been an exciting two weeks, you know, especially the last couple days. So praise God for that. So when we go through this passage, I really want you guys to try to think about where you are in the story. If you guys have heartache, if, you, if there's burdens in your life that you're waiting for God to answer and, and he hasn't answered yet, think about that. Think about where you're at in that story. Or if God has answered and you're looking hindsight, see the glory of God in your life and how it was revealed and how God worked through it. Because he has, and, or he will. That is a promise. So just to kind of cover the backstory, because I think the backstory is important in this passage. So Jesus, in the book of John, we see this kind of cyclical pattern over and over and over again. Jesus does a miracle, so the Pharisees try to stone him. He gets persecuted. He does a miracle, he gets persecuted. He does a miracle, he, does a per- he gets persecuted. And this pattern goes over and over and over and over in the book of John. But here we are not, I don't want to say the climax because the climax is the cross, but this is, we're reaching the top right here, the raising of Lazarus. This is a huge, in some um, scholars call this the ultimate sign of the raising of Lazarus. So something big is about to happen here. So right now, Jesus, in verse, at the end of chapter 10, before chapter 11, he's in, across the Jordan, where John the Baptist was baptizing. So he's a ways off from Jerusalem. And what brings him to Jerusalem is Lazarus, who's by Bethany. And as we read in the scripture, it's about two miles away from um, Jerusalem. So this is the pinnacle of the story. So just kind of keep that in mind, this progression and the storyline of Jesus's ministry. So as we unpack this verse, if you are able to see this passage as a love story, that is a testimony of the Holy Spirit working in your life. I don't believe that we can have a worldly perspective and see this story as a love story. It is only through the Holy Spirit that we can see this as being a love story. So just to unpack the love side of this passage, what's interesting in chapter 11, in verse 2, John chooses to say, this is, it was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Mind you, we are in chapter 11. But when does this take place? 
when Mary wipes his feet with her hair and ointment. It's not until chapter 12. So why is John doing this? John is trying to show us the, the deep relationship that he has with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That's what, that's what he's trying to, to draw this illustration. He, he's taking something that hasn't happened yet in Jesus' ministry and bringing it to this point to, to tell us this is the one that he loved. He loved these three. So, and this is kind of like the little bait, and then we'll, we'll kind of catch it later. The most important word in this whole passage, I believe, is the word so. It's in verse 6. How does it go? In verse 5 it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So what did he do? What was his response to loving them? So he heard that Lazarus was ill, and he stayed two days longer. Does that make sense? I don't think so. So because he loved Lazarus, he stayed two days longer. That word so, you can find in the ESV, NIV, the New King James Version, the Amplified Version, and the NASB. But I really like the way the NLT, the New Living Translation, puts it. Um, In verse 5, it actually puts the so. It says, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. It's illogical. If you loved somebody and you heard that they were in the hospital, they were sick, what would you do? You would go, you'd run to them, right? But because Jesus loved them, he waited. And we'll unpack that. Another area that we see love here is like I said, this is the thing that brought him back to Jerusalem. This, one, this, is, what, this is ultimately the sign that got Jesus killed. Because he went back to Jerusalem Bethany for Lazarus, right? And we see this, right? In chapter 11, verse um, 8, it says, The disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews are now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Right? And this hit me just recently, because I, like, I couldn't wrap my head around this, but in verse 16, Thomas says, So Thomas, the twin, says to, to his fellow disciples, Let us also go so that we may die with him. See, when I read that verse over and over and over again, I thought Thomas was talking about Lazarus. Let's go die with him. And I just couldn't get it. And then it hit me. No, he's talking about Jesus. Let's go die with him. Because he knew ultimately what this would cost. Because the Pharisees were constantly after him. In John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So Jesus goes back to Jerusalem for one person whom he loved, Lazarus. So the question I want you guys to ask yourself, would he do the same for you? And I hope the answer is yes. I really do. So loss. What's interesting here is that John makes it clear in verse um, 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Now, that four days is really interesting because in Jewish tradition, they believe that the spirit stayed with the body for three days. So John's like, he was dead. This was the fourth day. The spirit's gone. Like, no, like whether tradition, whether like customs, thought, you know, he was dead, dead as a doornail, right? 
So this is, this is an important part because now Lazarus is dead. And so what, how does the story transpire after this? So remember, let's think about where we are in this story. Let's think about how God is working in our lives and, and where we are. are. Are we in the middle of that loss? Have we lost it already? Or are we about to lose it? Is it just ill, right? So as Jesus comes back, now Jesus is back and they say, you know, Lord, we can't open the tomb because there's the odor, right? And then he has this interesting dialogue with Martha, okay? And Martha is having this discussion with Jesus and let's, let's look at it in verse uh, 20. So Martha heard that Jesus was coming and she went and met with him, but Mary remained, at the seated, remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So we see this faith that's inside Martha. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And then Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And so how did Martha take this? Martha took this as truth, right? In her perspective, in her mindset, in the, in the faith that she had, the growth that she has, she took it as truth, but not what Jesus meant. She took it as, yes, I believe that he will be raised on the last day. For us who are in Christ, in John 6, 40, it says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone that looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So here, Martha is accurate. Lazarus will be raised, but she's off on the when. And so... How does Jesus respond after that? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives in me shall never die, but shall never die. And we'll stop there for a second. This is important because all of a sudden Jesus is having this dialogue with Martha. But now he just opened us all into the conversation. Because that whosoever, Right? that whosoever, we are the whosoevers, right? Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He's talking about you guys, but talking about me, right? Though we may die, we shall live, right? We live in Christ. That makes me excited. I don't know about you guys, right? Okay. So, this is an awesome part now, right? Jesus now takes something that's truth and he moves it forward, showing his deity, showing his power, that he brings the resurrection today, that he can take something that is yet to come and brings it today. Jesus does more than what we can ask for. And we see this over and over and over again in our lives, right? <clears throat> In Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly that all we ask or think according to the power that, is work, that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So he does far more abundantly than we ask or that we can even think. So God is working in our lives and he does and he acts today. In Romans 8, 34, it says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, who is at the right hand of God, 
and who is indeed, I love the way that it's written, it says, who indeed is interceding for us. That's an action. That's not past tense. It's not like he interceded for us, which he did, right? No, he is interceding for us. That means right now in this moment, he is interceding on our behalf. He's working on our behalf. Romans 8 also says that, you know, he works good for all those who love him, right? So as the story goes on, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So the resurrection part, we can kind of wrap our heads around because that's inside the story. But what does he mean by the life? And I think Acts 17, 24 through 28, nails it on the head. It says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven, doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed himself. Since he himself gives to mankind life, breath, and everything. And I love this part. It says, for in him we live and move and have our being. In him, we live and move and have our being. He is our life. He is the sustainer of life. Verse 26, it ends with Jesus asking Martha, and I believe he's asking us, do you believe this? Do you believe this? We have to ask ourselves this. Do we believe this? And if we do, does our life reflect it? Because that was the disconnect in my life for so many years. Is I would say that I believed it, but then when I took inventory of my life, my life didn't reflect it at all. It was, there was no reflection of me believing it. Belief was just a word, was just this abstract idea that, I, that it would be in my life. But when it came down to the nitty and gritty and, and in the suffering and in the hurt and in the like, I need someone right now, did I believe? And I'm sad to say there was a lot of times I didn't. And I turned to other things, and by God's grace, he's now brought me back to him, into his fold, and, and is continuing to work in my life as, as he is this week, as the past couple of days. Um, so do you believe this? Let's ask ourselves that. So verse 32 to 36, Mary has this dialogue. And what this dialogue eventually leads up to is, you know, we all know this, the most memorized verse in the Bible, the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words, right? Jesus wept, right? And so Jesus weeps here. Now the question is, is why does he weep? And I don't think, I don't think it's absolutely clear what, why he wept. It says that he was troubled in his spirit he was moved in his spirit and greatly troubled right because he sees martha and the other jews that are with her mourning and i think there's three outcomes we see in scripture that jesus calls out people for their lack of faith right oh you of little faith right so i think that's that's one possibility the second possibility is that jesus was mourning with them which i think was highly likely that he was mourning with them. He felt what they felt. He had compassion. He mourned with them. In Hebrews 4.14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who passed through heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For do we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. He was tempted in every way that we were, but yet without sin. So he relates to us. He gets us, right? God made flesh. Now the third option is Jesus' anger. Anger at what you say. And I think it was his anger towards death. In 1 Corinthians 15, 25 through 26, it says, For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Have you ever thought about that? That one of God's enemy is death. This is really interesting. In Revelations 20, 14, it says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. What's really interesting is that the D is capitalized there as if it's an object, as if it's a person. Let me back that thought up with Hebrews 2.14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is, the devil. <coughs> so I think that this, this idea of that he was he was troubled in his spirit and moved in his spirit and greatly troubled could have been that he was angry. And I think there's a reality that all three of these things were true. These three things when Jesus wept was true. And I think this is important. And it also elaborates on verse four. Turn with me to chapter 11, verse four. It says, but Jesus heard this and said, this illness does not lead to death. Why did he say that? Because a few verses he told them plainly, right? Jesus, or Lazarus, has died. Is Jesus a liar? No, right? So what, what, is he wrong? Does he, is he not omniscient? No. No, I think what Jesus was saying is, no, this, this illness will not lead to death, but will lead to Christ. Ultimately, it will not lead to death, but it will lead to Christ. And it says, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may also be glorified through it. I think, I think that's important to note here in verse 4. So verse 34 of, this, of chapter 11, it says, And he said to him, Where have you laid him? So already, now he's, now he's responding. He said, Where have you laid him? Right? Let's go to him. It shows that God initiates the action in our life. That he doesn't leave us or forsake us, but that he acts in our lives at the appropriate time. At the appropriate time. Because he knows the end from the beginning. So let's go to the glory of God now. So, when we look at Scripture, if you look at Scripture, the whole, all of Scripture, we see that suffering and the glory of God are so intertwined that they cannot be separated. That it's through suffering that the glory of God is revealed. It's a hard concept for us as we're here, but this is, this is a reality. And it's a reality that's hard to swallow. It's hard to swallow for me. 
So this took place for the glory of God to be revealed, as, as Jesus says in verse 4. What's also interesting, I don't know if you guys caught this, is in verse, um, I'm sorry, verse, uh, we'll start with verse 14. It says, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And then what does he say? So Lazarus has died, the one that he loved. And what does he say? He says, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So he's glad that he was not there to heal him. Why? For their belief. See, it's hard as, as believers here on this earth to understand the whole purpose of God, right? To, to just see the whole picture, right? We see these snippets of reality, and we say, why God, why God? But it's only in hindsight that we can see God's hand never left us, that he was working through our lives. You know, I remember when I was in junior high or maybe high school, I don't remember, but um, there was an illustration that was given is that imagine that you're watching this like TV and on this TV you see a baby and it zooms in on this baby and you see this needle or something poking this baby and, and like and the baby's screaming and crying and you're feeling all these emotions like what's going on and you're getting angry and you hear the screaming and crying and you don't know what's going on you're just you're feeling all these emotions you're in the thick of it and then the camera zooms out and it's a doctor administering some vaccine for the baby or some medicine for the baby to get healed so we have this finite image of what's going on in reality but god sees this whole picture and he's seeing and he's working it out for our good He's working it out for our good. So as we wait, we grow in faith. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind. For you know the testing of your faith develops, produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, so that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. So we see that as we wait, we grow in faith. But also, as God acts, our belief is deepened. So the story ends. The reason why I wanted to hit verse 45 and 46 um, in this, even though it's kind of, maybe it's kind of segmented different in, um, in your Bibles, is in verse 45, it says this, For many of the Jews, therefore, who had come to Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what he had done. So there's two options here, right? It's either we believe or we forget and we go and do something else, right? See, that's the tragedy of us. That God proves himself over and over and over in our lives. And then when the next trial comes, when the next trouble comes... We say, God, where are you? And we forget about all the times that he did it before. I pray that we remember, we remember that what God has done in the past, he will do again. He will do again. The problem that I'm having in my, in my life or the, the, the trial that God put in my life this time, this is the third time it's happened to me. And I have to admit, in the beginning as I was going through this, it was come on again like this is this is too much like why 
And I forgot, I forgot that he carried me through and, and, and I walked out of those times better and better and better. So I pray that we don't forget. What's also interesting is verse 45 and verse 46 are right, beverse, are right before verse 44, right? Um, and what does verse 44 say? The man who had died came out with his hands and feet bound with linen strips his faith wrapped in clothes, and Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. And then verse 45 and 46, like we read, some believed him and some didn't. Who was the focus on? Focus was on Jesus, not Lazarus. They just saw a dead man walk out four days, odor. They didn't, it, what, the focus wasn't on Lazarus, the focus was on Jesus. So what does this say to me, and what should it say to you? that we are not chasing experiences. We're chasing Christ. Amen, brother. We're chasing Christ. And so we can get caught up in the experience. And even though experiences are good, right? They're, they're evidence of our faith. But no, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's fix our eyes on Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Not so much the experiences. So if you ever see a dead man walking out of the, <laughs> the ground or whatever... Fix your eyes on Jesus. I think that's a good time. So, ultimately, let's wrap this up. Love, loss, and the glory of God. All of it is met at the cross. This is the ultimate meeting of love, loss, and the glory of God. So ultimate love turned ultimate loss into the ultimate glory on the cross. And even outside of that, as a believer, we go through three salvations. Our first salvation, which is just justification, right? That's when we first come to Christ. We are justified through Christ. Our third salvation is sanctification. We are sanctified in Christ daily, right? We die to ourselves daily. God gives us the power to overcome sin through the Holy Spirit. But there's this third that sometimes we forget, and that's glorification. And that's when Christ will come back or we will meet him. So let's not forget that, that this is going to be the ultimate glorification where we get to be with Christ. Because in reality, all of life is suffering, right? All of it. There's good times, yeah, but this is life. We live in a broken world. We have fear for our children. We're constantly worried about making the bills. But we're waiting for the day for our Lord Jesus comes back. We eagerly await, as the Bible says. We eagerly await. Like, I can't wait. So, to wrap up, there's five key points that I think is important that we take away from this. He loves, so he waits. He waits so we can grow in love, knowledge, and trust in Christ. He waits, so we wait. We wait patiently for the Lord, knowing that he hears us. And this kind of works with um, the second one. He is near when he waits. He hears our hearts. Psalms 34, 17, 18, it says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. 
The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Like we have a God who is a father, a father, a dad, a daddy that we can come to and he hears us. And it's only that we have a father because of what Christ did on the cross. He reconciled us to the father. Fourth reason, he is the reason why we wait. We don't wait for the resolution, but we wait for Christ. We don't wait for the answer to the problems. We wait for Christ. We wait for him and we, to see his, his hand in our lives. And lastly, he waits so we can be partakers in his glory. And we'll end on these two verses. He allows us to suffer so we can have glory. In Romans eight sixteen through 18, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirits, so we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Again, we see that theme, suffering and glorification. The two go hand in hand. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer selves are waiting, wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For it is a light and momentary affliction is being prepared for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. So I pray for you guys and for me that we can see these sufferings in our lives as moments to deepen our faith in Christ and to deepen our relationship with him that we don't say, why God, why haven't you come through yet? But we wait patiently for the Lord, knowing that he does. We have confidence, we have assuredness that he will hear us, that he will come to our rescue. These are promises. And last time I checked that when God keeps a promise, he fulfills it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can call you Father that we can come to you, that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because of what your son did on the cross. God, we just pray, I pray for everybody in this room that you meet them where they're at. God, you know deeply inside their heart what they're going through and the pain, the difficulty of their circumstances. And I just pray that you meet them, God. Not only that, Father, but I pray if they haven't called upon your name, that they do call upon your name, knowing that you are the God that answers prayers, that hears our voice, and that cares and loves us so deeply. God, we thank you for this time that we can open up your word, and thank you for revealing your scripture to us, Father, so that we can see and dive in in truth, Father, absolute truth, in a world full of lies and deception and half-truths. So, Father, I just want to pray for the rest of the service that we can have a heart of spirit and truth so that we're able to worship in those and that we can fix our eyes on you, Father, and not our circumstances, not even the resolution of our circumstances. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.